Greetings, um, friends at Bread of Life. We're now in our fifth uh, week of sermons on um, this idea of providence and creation care. God is uh, moving the world um, through to perfection in Christ. And we're caught up in that. We're called to be participants, to um, come alongside God and care for the world that he is redeeming and use it with gratitude and share it with one another. As we come into this sermon, I want to set this up with two questions that echo across Scripture. You may not have thought about the way they sound off of one another. The first is that moment in Genesis 4. Cain has slain his brother Abel, and God says to him, Where is your brother? And Cain answers, Am I my brother's keeper? Fast forward to um, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 9, Jesus in a conversation with a lawyer about the greatest commandment. And the lawyer asks, but who is my neighbor? Am I my brother's keeper? You can see running is a thread throughout scripture. Our struggle is humanity to reckon with one another as a neighbor and a brother, to have some responsibility for one another. And I want to draw those questions before us as we enter into this final uh, sermon. Uh, last week, if uh, you heard the sermon, I talked about Israel being in the wilderness for 40 years. And so God gives them manna daily. And I called that a, a liturgy of scarcity. God's training them to take daily food, to have daily gratitude for what they take in. To rest on the Sabbath and trust the Lord for his provision. And then that kind of spiritual training is meant to then set up for them the, the attitude, the heart, the habits they'll need when they get into the land. And so today our readings have us in the land or on the cusp of it. This sermon in Deuteronomy is the day of Moses' death, as it's figured, and the Israelites will gather now in the land. And so Deuteronomy is a law to prepare them for that land. And here's what's going to happen. You can imagine this already. They're going to go into the land, and no longer will they have the manna providing for them daily. And they're going to spread out in the land. There's going to be good land, and there's going to be bad land. There's going to be floods, and there are going to be bad crops. There'll be barren families who have no children to work the land. And there'll be sickness, and there'll be death. And within a generation, you'll already start to accumulate poverty and great wealth and accumulation. You know, the, 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 this community in the desert that lived fairly evenly on an economic or social level is just going to spike. You're going to have the haves and the have-nots. We already know which tribes, and we know historically, that tribes became powerful and wealthy. And so these laws are anticipating that, preparing Israel now to go from a manna economy to a land economy. And how are they going to act together in that place? And so we come to this law in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Probably a good place to mention the fact, I think, even in my own imagination, I imagine the law as, you know, a bunch of um, a purity and ritual stuff about how priests are to dress and the way you cut a bird for sacrifice and how much a fire you need and what to do with the fat. And um, there's uh, not as much of that as probably we imagine. Uh, there's a ton about this very question we're talking about. How do we manage the agricultural resources in our land? In the light of the fact there's going to be um, plenty and there's going to be scarcity and there's going to be famines, the law is guiding Israel to do that. 
And so of all many, many laws that do that, um, gleaning laws and Sabbath laws and so on, I'm going to focus just on the ones in our reading in Deuteronomy today. And they're um, festival laws. And, and in these, if you um, uh, walk through the Pentateuch, you'll know that Israel has seven festivals a year. So seven, this symbolic number, it, it imagines the perfect perfection of seven in creation, seven days uh, that God rested on the seventh. And so Israel will have seven festivals that rehearse their story of creation, their story of redemption from Egypt. And we take only today the reading of these three festivals called the pilgrimage feasts. And um, when people journey to Jerusalem to gather for a festival. And in them we get to see, look, now that Israel's in this land where there's scarcity and plenty and there's inequality and there's immigrants and there's refugees among them, poverty, and there are orphans and there are widows, Here's what the festivals will do for the people. These three times a year, you'll gather for a week, you'll fast, you'll get rid of the leavened bread. And when you gather, you'll do three things. And I want to point these out and kind of carry them through the sermon today in these texts. Uh, You'll gather, as I said, but look at the list of the people who gather. The orphan, the widow, the, the sojourner, the refugee, the person from outside your land who's living among you, the old the young, the men, the women. Um, There's an image of uh, ultimate diversity. Uh, You're going to live, you're going to have your friends, but when you come before me for a festival, I want all of it. I want all the diversity of humanity to meet. We're going to gather. Two, we're going to rejoice and remember. And three, we'll share. So a gathering, uh, rejoicing and remembering. So God says, look, There's going to be people among you who are going to be wealthier and you're going to be better off. And there's going to be people who are socially more powerful. And God says, but you'll all remember that you were slaves in Egypt. You all came from the same place. In fact, Deuteronomy earlier said, this land and this wealth is not by your hand. You'll remember that. You'll remember this is a gift. And in that remembering, God says, you'll rejoice together. Rejoice. That differing peoples are commanded not to feel joy, but to joy, to, to um, be uh, victorious is kind of the best way to describe joy, to say God reigns, God is good, and we'll say that together as a diverse population. Look at the face-to-face gathering, the common rejoicing and gratitude, and then third, you will share. You will share generously. Everyone will give, it says, as he is able. And no one will be empty-handed. I mean, what an image. Uh, We come to festival. We make sure. I mean, that's the significance of the gathering is that we make sure and we see one another eye to eye who is needy. And the festival puts us before um, the marginalized, the weak, the refugee, the minority, the women, the men, the aged. And it puts us in their presence and says, make sure everybody can rejoice and share together. A joy, and you may not think of the law this way, but Deuteronomy is sometimes called the festivals of joy. Joy, joy uh, fills the central section of Deuteronomy, commanding the people to rejoice in God and what he has given to them. They gather together. They rejoice and they share when they see one another face to face. Yeah, all good and well that the Israelites had this. They did not do it well. That's not any surprise. 
In fact, every seven years at these feasts, there was a, a canceling of debt and debt slaves were sent home with generosity from those who they worked for. That didn't happen very well. So, so we know these laws didn't work out for Israel very well. So what do we do with them? Um, you may anticipate or could hear the echoes of this in Acts chapter 2 today. And we move into this scene. It's the early church. And what day is it? Pentecost. I mean, go back to Deuteronomy. What are the three feasts? Pentecost, Passover, and the Feast of Booths. And here Luke, who writes the book of Acts, has a community gathering. And what kind of community? Well, all 3,000 of them, he says. All kinds, all Medes and Persians. And he's got people from every nation, age, and they all gather at a festival day. It's very accidental, isn't it? I mean, it's this kind of Luke's way of saying when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people, look at them begin to do what God wanted them to do in Deuteronomy. They gather all kinds of diverse people. They rejoice, it says, they gave thanks, praised God, and were honored with one another, with generous hearts and favor with all people. They gather, they rejoice, and they share. Everyone gave. They sold their possessions so that no one was in need and gave to the poor and the needy. And everyone gave. You see this Deuteronomy section picked up and come to life when Christ ascends and he sends the Holy Spirit among us to carry out that work of providence, of caring for and stewarding the creation for the well-being of all. Um, if that sounds uh, too coincidental, it is well recognized that all in early in, in Acts, Luke's the author, he's grabbing vocabulary, Greek words, from that central section in the Greek version of Deuteronomy. This word that we read, empty-handed, no one will be empty-handed, occurs only in the Bible in these two places. It's an unusual word. Uh, Luke's grabbed it from somewhere, um, Greek culture, and he's put it in those two places, probably for more advanced readers to hear that echo. And no, look at the church. When it begins to take on its life, it gathers, it rejoices, and it shares. And we know, historically, how radically and how rapidly poverty was wiped out in the early world. The way refugees and women and, and widows were gathered into the church at some of its major growth. And we see that in Acts, this gathering, beautiful community and generosity responding to the creation as a gift so that all might share in its resources. I want to suggest to you this is more than just a law or a social program. I mean, our, our, our nation is so large, we have social programs, right, and welfare and different kinds of things to care for the needy. Um, this isn't pity. This isn't a social program. I want to suggest to you that God is actually getting at something deeper, in these giving passages and in these gathering passages. And I want to say to you this, that they treated one another as persons. As persons. Now that probably sounds strange or um, unnecessary or some kind of way. A person uh, in theologians or ethicists uh, use this word very specifically. And what they don't mean is you get on an elevator and it says, this elevator holds 12 persons. So that's a different use. What they mean by person is something quite sacred and something quite um, immense and infinite. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have a friend named Michael. 
Michael lives in Texas. Mike's uh, a big guy. Um, Michael is funny. Michael's a Cowboys fan. Michael's an old friend. Michael is black. Michael is a person. Uh, sit with that for a minute. Michael is a person. I, I gave this list of things about Michael that make me like him, uh, things about him that you could identify him. But you can't make a list long enough to add up to Michael as a person. When I say Michael is a person, I've just assigned worth to him. I've gazed on him. I've looked at him. That word in Acts that they had favor with one another. They're honoring one another. When I say Michael is a person, I cherish him. I see the sacredness in him. And I honor it. There's a, a gaze. There's an infinite sense of something in Michael. But not only that, that, for me to call Michael a person is to say that he and I share something. Um, one writer who writes about personhood says this, it's not that I'm no more special than anyone in the world. It's that everyone is as special as I am. I trust you can see this kind of affirming um, a mystery to personhood. That when we gather eye to eye and look at one another, that affirming kind of thing. Uh, sometimes writers who write about personhood say it's the difference between looking at another human being and thinking of them as something and as someone. The person has an ethical weight to it. When I call somebody a person, I already am attached to their well-being. Stick with that for a minute if it's difficult. I want to use that as a window to see in this gospel reading with Jesus. Something that's going on with Jesus and in Acts and back in Deuteronomy that has to do with personhood. Uh, Jesus now has this woman wash his feet with this ointment, a story that you probably know. It's actually told four different ways in the Gospels. Um, but yes, this woman has now um, anointed Jesus' feet. And if you knew this context in Luke 7, where we read this passage, uh, Luke just happens to mention it was the Passover. <laughs> the Passover. The Passover that we just had and the Pentecost feast in Acts, also written by Luke, and the Pentecost and the, and the Passover feasts in Deuteronomy, where this meeting together at a meal, gathering and rejoicing and sharing, took place. And now we come forward and Jesus is at Passover. And he's gathered with a diversity of people. And they're all together in one place. And there, the woman anoints Jesus' feet, wipes it with oil, and kisses his feet. Now this brings outrage or embarrassment to the Pharisee who's throwing the feast, Simon. Simon's invited Jesus to this meal. It sounds most like, if you read the passage, the woman's come in behind Jesus. She's not invited to the feast. And probably for politically correct reasons, he doesn't want to um, say anything or disturb the room if he even sees her. She comes up from behind Jesus, it says, and begins to anoint his feet. And so then Simon says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner who touches him. And he shouldn't be doing this. Now listen to Jesus' response, thinking about personhood. He called to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. Do you see, I mean, he's going to reprove Simon, but he, but he talks to Simon, he calls him by name because he honors him. 
because he gazes at Simon as a person, not a lost cause. And he tells Simon a short parable. And when he finishes the parable, here's the words I want us to hear. Turning to the woman, Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? Of course he sees her, right? But that's not what Jesus is asking. Do you see this person is what he's asking. Do you see a human being, a mystery, it's infinite, that somebody who shares some great, special, unique createdness that looks at me. Simon, I came into your house and you did not serve me. You did not wash my feet. You did not kiss me. But this woman has done a great thing. She has loved me. In fact, he says, you have loved little, but she has loved much. Jesus honors this woman who's not allowed, not even supposed to be there. And here, like the, the, that act scene kind of comes to fruition. The community's gathered. They're all rejoicing. And the poorest, outcast, lowest socially classed person in the room gives the most. She recognizes Jesus as a person and Jesus reciprocates and sees her as a person. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven, Jesus says to her. He's acknowledged her personhood. He's loved her. When you go forward, you think of the other versions. You can go read the four of them in um, John. It's in John chapter 12. And it's actually Mary, and this maybe is a separate scene, and it just happens the same way. We don't know. It's Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who's washed Jesus' feet with oil. 300 denarii, a year's wages of oil. And it's Judas, not Simon, who protests. And Judas says, that could have been sold and given to the poor. But here's John's addition. He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he had the money bag and used to take from it. His hand in the money bag. She was not a person to Judas. In Mark's version, it's all the disciples who are upset at the wastefulness of the giving. They can't see, Luke wants us to understand, that they're in a moment of Pentecost, of Passover. And there's a feast and there's a gathering and the poor are bringing what they have to honor the Lord and rejoice together. Personhood's at the core of this, not merely a social program or pity or charity, a mutual belonging to one another. That community in Acts that began to share that way had sat with Jesus at these meals, and they had watched him honor people. The most radical human being to watch the face of the earth, because one by one, Pharisees and the poor and the tax collector and the sinner, Jesus acknowledged and embraced and celebrated as fellow human beings, as persons. And that began to transform and set up the life of the church as Jesus sends his Holy Spirit upon us to gather, to rejoice, and to share this good creation with everyone. As I was preparing this sermon this week, I had in my mind these news events were on the back side of this tragic murder of Ahmad Arbery in Georgia. And it occurred to me as I um, listened to that story and read the news and prepared these texts, the way Ahmad was not a person to the men who shot him. The way blacks, the way African-Americans, immigrants are not persons to us, right? There's something, not someone, uh, some social program, some schooling. We need some other governing to fix their issues. And we do. I'm not saying we don't need structural changes in America. But I'm taking this moment to say that, that the core of this is the failure to recognize one another as persons. 
as beautiful, as worthy of being celebrated, as mysterious, as sharing something with us that cannot be named or measured. That's what began to transform the church, not a program, but a personhood. That's God's way in bringing these things about for us. We're in the coronavirus, I'm aware, we're in this pandemic, and I know that we are not able to gather. It's this strange way that we can't fulfill the sermon in maybe the way we want. We can give, but we can't gather. We can rejoice, but we cannot gather in the way we would. But I do want to set this up for us in this moment as we think about these things together in the way that we go forward. When we gather again as a church, when we come together after we're able to, and the government allows us to come face to face and to gather, what would it look like for Bread of Life to gather in great diversity, to rejoice, to affirm the personhood of all the diversity of the people in this place in Ithaca, and to share? I don't know what that would look like. I have ideas. I've talked with people. It's been on my mind for years. But what a moment to say when we come back and we're able to gather and see one of those faces and acknowledge one of those persons, that those numbers and the diversity of us will increase. And this good creation that God has given us, we will bring together and we'll look at my neighbor and we'll look at my brother and we'll look at my sister and we will share and no one be in need. Amen.